0: This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft, tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. (laughs) Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Welcome to the first edition of Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Kate Frazier, and I am joined in Bill Simmons, a.k.a. the Podfather's (laughs) office right now. I didn't even know that this existed, so I'm very happy to be here. And I, of course, have the mismatches, Kevin O'Connor, and I have the host of NBA Group Chat, my boy Waz Lombre. So uh, what's going on, guys?
1: Happy to be here. This yeah, is exciting. Shouts to FanDuel for putting this together, huh?
0: Right, we're on TV. I uh, wow, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit. Um, <laughs> this is we're we're doing a podcast, but on television. People so. still
1: have TVs, <laughs> right? People still is that have a TVs thing? We're streaming. Oh, we're streaming. <laughs> okay. They got HDMI they got,
0: cords. They got things happening. They got laptops. Yeah, right. Uh, things right? are happening in the world of television, and we're happy to be here and uh, be on FanDuel TV. And today we got a lot of NBA topics to get to, and uh, the first one has been the, the conversation throughout the entire season, right? It's mm-hmm. very volatile. A lot of people have very strong opinions about this. We've had some, you know, obviously some people sticking their necks out for certain players. <laughs> There's really three guys that are the MVPs, right, that are in the conversation. We have Giannis Antetokounmpo. A lot of people think he's the best player in the world. Mm-hmm. We have Joel Embiid, who last night, Doc Rivers said, the MVP race is over. This guy is the MVP. And then we have the two-time reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic, who says, please do not give me this award. I do not want it. Um, so that's where we are in the NBA right now. I'll start with you, Kevin O'Connor. I'll ask the simple question. Who's the real MVP this season?
2: So I haven't cast my vote yet. Okay, the good. The day. They remind me every day to cast my vote. I, I am currently between Giannis... And Embiid. I know it, a lot, it seems like the conversation right now is between Embiid and Jokic, but I'm between Giannis and Embiid. I think, the, you know, Giannis is a best player in the world right now, in my opinion. But Embiid, what he has done this season, the 52-point game, you know, the other night against the Celtics with the six assists as well, in deli- drawing double teams and delivering dimes to P.J. Tucker in the corner and dominating on defense, I'm very split between Giannis and Embiid. I think at this current moment, Tate, I'm leaning towards Embiid considering everything that he has to do for that Sixers team.
0: I'm a little shocked by this because uh, you were one of the ones, you know, I talked about people putting their necks out. You were saying Giannis Kumpo, but mm-hmm. Joel Embiid is started started to curry favor with you a little bit.
2: I mean, all year it's been, you know, Giannis for me or Embiid. Like, it's mm-hmm. been very close between those guys. I just think with Jokic this year, his defense has not been on the same level that it was the past two seasons when I did mm-hmm. vote for him as MVP. A lot of people disagreed mm-hmm. then, you know, thought it would have should have been Embiid. I thought Jokic was very good defensively the last two years. He has not put in the same effort on that end of the floor that you see from Giannis and especially see from Embiid on a night in night out basis. So for me, you know, it's still you know very close with the final stretch here. Um, but Jokic is not in consideration on the same level as those guys. There you
0: go. And Was, what are you what are you feeling? Who are, who are you sticking your neck out for? Because I mean, this is the NBA media we live in now. You have to live and die by. <laughs> yeah, your you got to hold opinions. the corner down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's funny because I literally just came off of our podcast, Group Chat. and had this exact conversation, and I think it's a matter of preference. And my preferences change every single day, to be honest. Sometimes I watch the Bucs just completely annihilate guys defensively. They've been sort of the most dominant team down the stretch here. And, you know, the games in the beginning of the season in November and December count just as much as they do in March and April. However, for whatever reason, we weigh... The latter games more than the ones that came before, and so when I watch the Bucks play as a team, and traditionally, that's what all of these Embiid people like to say. Well, the tradition is that you know you don't give a guy who has it doesn't have the best record and blah blah blah. And I think traditionally. Giannis has a great case. His team has the best record. He's clearly the best player on the team. Chris Middleton has missed so much time. And even when he did come back at first, he wasn't himself. And yet Giannis has elevated them to the level that he has. I think Joel as a defender, I think people tend to think of him when he's at his best, but that doesn't necessarily mean over the course of the season, he's doing that very consistently. I think even if you look at the defensive rating when Jokic is on the floor for his team and Embiid is on the floor for his team, they're pretty much the same. It's not as if either one of these guys are playing on world-beating defenses. I just think to me, Giannis is clearly the best player in the NBA, in my opinion, and even if he doesn't have his as dominant an offensive season as Embiid or Jokic this year, I think just consistently across the board, he's the guy. Barely though, like right, like I'm not. It, this isn't like one of those things with Russell Westbrook where we look back and we say, "How the hell did anybody think that guy, <laughs> who hasn't played well in the playoffs since one time since winning the MVP, how the hell did we think that guy was the best player in the NBA at any point?" Should have been Harden. Should have been Harden. Yeah,
0: Yeah, should have been Harden. And it also, for me, I think the fascinating part of this season in particular was at the end of last year, right, Joel Embiid, when he didn't win it, you could just see that he was dejected. He said, "I'm tired yeah. of campaigning. I'm tired of trying to <laughs> trying to convince people I'm the MVP. I go head to head with this guy Jokic. I dominated him. It doesn't seem to matter, right? He just felt like he was very frustrated. And then it's funny because then the other frustration you go to Jokic, who's like, they keep giving me these awards. I don't want them. <laughs> I just want to. I, I just want to play. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to be the one seed. I want to compete for a championship. But he's frustrated. Yeah. Then you go to Giannis. Giannis is like." I, I actually would like to win the MVP, right? He seems like the one that's the most eager about winning yeah. the award. So do you think that maybe plays into it, too, where there's some sort of bias that comes in our mind where we're like, Giannis seems like he actually wants to win it unlike these other two guys.
2: I, I don't think so for me personally. Mm. Uh, I mean, Heartless.
0: I mean, wow. Jeez.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't think it should matter. I don't care that Jokic won the last two. I would have been happy to vote for him if I Mm. thought I was the MVP for that matter. Mm.
0: Um, I I just think But they're the first team in the Western Conference. This is the year they got Jamal Murray back. You know, Mike Malone's been there eight years. They probably have the most pressure they've ever had to actually go to the playoffs and perform. So if anything, like this feels like a Jokic year where he does check those traditional boxes we were talking about, right?
1: Yeah, I I think to me the Jokic case has always been the same in the sense that he's the only person doing something at an all-time great level this season. Meaning, Jokic is one of the best offensive players we have ever seen in the history of basketball. Best passing
0: big man ever. Ever, ever.
1: And you cannot cover him with one guy. So, like, you— (laughs) once you marry those two truths that he's unguardable with one person and he's also one of the three, four best passers in the history of the NBA right like he's the only person delivering on that level at either end of the floor between these three guys right and so to me ultimately that's what his case is but I think on the human side of things um, when people are just like well these other guys have won two MVPs already and maybe it is Jokic's turn like I mean as much as Kevin O'Content is just a machine (laughs) um, I think there, there will be a human element to how people vote and it's just like you know, they're going to feel like, "Eh, Showell kind of deserves it. You know, he deserves a lollipop, too. Right. We saw that on the last straw poll, didn't we? Like, in in beads,
2: you know, he he had the lead for that one. He could be closing the gap here. And if he wins the MVP, cool, right? Like, I I think for both him and Jokic when it comes to the playoffs, like, this is the prove-it year. Both those guys have not made it all the way to the NBA Finals. Both of them have flamed out for different reasons. And for Jokic, like, You're right. Like we know, he's a genius on offense. They like the Nuggets run him through the same plays that the Warriors do for Steph. Right. That the Clippers do with Kawhi Leonard. Like he does everything on the court but defensively, he's going to have to prove it this year, just like Embiid's going to have to prove he can sustain offensive efficiency in the postseason, depending on the matchup.
0: And as we know, this is a regular season award, and I feel like that's what gets lost a little bit as we get into the playoffs, right? Because, you know, you see Joel Embiid, if he does win MVP, and they lose in the second round, and Giannis goes to the finals and wins, you know, (laughs) another finals MVP, people say, well, we were wrong, right? We picked the wrong guy. So how hard is it to compartmentalize those two things? Because I feel like that's the problem, and in our media culture that we have right now. So
1: to me, I I always make the difference between playoff success and actually performing to your MVP level in the playoffs. That's the difference when there was a lot of hand-wringing about Giannis winning these MVPs and voters were like, man, we're not going to give it back to him when if he's going to play worse than this in the playoffs again. Right. It's kind of like you, you, Giannis played worse in the playoffs after his MVP season. Joel has in the playoffs if you go look at um his performances the history of him, he has not always been excellent in the playoffs. I think M- Jokic is the only person who his level of play has not gone down after winning the MVP in those playoff seasons. And then, you know, when it comes to the team success that I like I think people need to understand is that Back in the days, five years ago, especially 10 years ago, individual excellence could guarantee you a baseline of, like, 45 wins. Right. You know, close to 50 wins. That's just not the case anymore. You can play as well as Luka has this year, which in a lot of normal MVP years, he'd be right there with anybody. He's not going to make the playoffs. I think He's not going to make the the play in. Exactly. He's not going (laughs) to make the play in. So I just think that's the reality of – you know how hard it is to come by team success these days. I don't, I don't think just being an MVP level player in and of your own is going to guarantee that your team has all of this great team success.
0: One last thing before we move on with the MVP discussion I know these international players, they're all close. They all talk to each other. They're all mm-hmm. friends. Is there a world in which maybe Jokic and Embiid and Giannis are all talking to each other about how insane this is? They're just like laughing with each other? Because I, I think there is a small chance that they might all be in on this and they're just like, this damn American media. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's funny because Embiid, I feel like, is the least likely to do that because he's the most Mm media-centric of all of those guys. Like, you know, he's gone viral several times (laughs) on the internet. He's asking Rihanna for dates.
0: Right. He's clowning. Big on Twitter back in the day. Yeah, like,
1: he's a media creature. So I feel like (laughs) Embiid is probably the least likely to be doing that. But at the same time, like, he... He really cares about this stuff. He cares about how people talk about him, how he's considered amongst his peers. And so, you know, I, I, I could definitely see Giannis and, and Jokic being like, whatever, I just go out and hoop. But Embiid, he cares about this narrative, chatter-driven it's, sort of stuff. Embiid and, and cares so much that he says he doesn't care. Right. Yeah, and we know <laughs> it's we a lie. Yeah, 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 we yeah. know it's a lie.
0: All right. So let's get into some more big picture NBA topics. We've done the MVP stuff. We're done with that. You know, I mean, that conversation will continue. Kevin, I hope you get your vote in ASAP. Um, I know they're going to keep emailing you about that. Um, The next thing that I wanted to hit was the biggest surprise of the season. Right. Because there's a lot of stuff that's happened this year in the NBA. Um, What team in particular was the biggest surprise for you?
2: Let's go with the Kings. Nice. I, I thought the Kings would be better. I thought they compete for the play-in, but they yeah. have a, a top four seed home court advantage in the first round. Yeah, playing the way that they have with an all-time great, you know, statistically offense. Granted, there's inflation with stats and all that, but like they blend styles the way they play. They're competitive. They're fun. They light the beam. The crowd's going crazy. <laughs> like, like who could have expected the Kings to have this type of you know culture and fanfare around them mm-hmm. and to have like such a a real genuinely great offense it's a great team that's going to be competitive in the first round of the playoffs and it wouldn't surprise anybody if they end up getting all the way to the west finals with the level of offense they play
0: and and was i mean obviously watching the kings this year you know i remember when the trade happened with halliburton there was multiple people that went on tv said it was malpractice said that they were just you know this franchise shouldn't even be a franchise and now sabonis is top three center in the league
1: Yeah, I I mean, I personally wouldn't go that far. I'm I'm amongst the biggest Sabonis skeptics that (laughs) exist out there. Like, I just don't think a center with, you know, T-Rex arms can be, like, counted on in the playoffs. But I will say this, like, on the individual Part of it, Mike Brown, who has Mm -hmm. never in his life been known as an offensive-minded coach, the fact that he's the one that comes in here and puts in this offense with this team is extremely surprising. He's always been known as a guy who's elevated every single defense he's been around. It's so, you know, to the point where people would make the jokes that he's just rolling the ball out for guys like LeBron (laughs) back in the past. The, The fact that he's designed this intricate... Um, you know, offense is incredible, and I think De'Aaron Fox just the the way that he's become such a clutch sort of assassin, and how he's doing it. I'm somebody who who wanted to keep on hold on to my Fox stock because I felt like nobody could stay in front of him and maybe one day he'd become a free throw machine but instead this guy's a, a mid-range killer like <laughs> he 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 creates space and he's like KD or Devin Booker mm-hmm. in that way in the clutch like that's super surprising on the individual um level like coach you're gonna have Mike Brown coach of the year yeah, the, the NBA's new award, Clutch
2: Player of the Year, it's going to be De'Aaron Fox. Mm. I mean, that's like, a thing. Yeah, it's a new thing. Oh wow, yeah, it's on the okay. ballot this year. It's <laughs> wow, Clutch Player of the clutch Year. Clutch Player yeah. of the it Year. It should be spelled
0: yeah. with the K, and it should just be like one of LeBron's guys. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Jared Vanderbilt, Clutch Player of the Year. Um, wow. T H D. Yeah, in Utah. There you go. There you go. Um, well, shout out to the Kings. I mean, it's nice to have them back in the conversation. Sacramento is a basketball city. It's fun to see them yeah. be good again. And it is super fun. The one thing that I don't like about the Kings is that everyone in the West seemingly is trying to get matched up with the Kings. If you ask the Lakers, if you ask the Warriors, right, everyone's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'd love to see Sacramento in the first round. What are your thoughts about that, Chaos? I mean, I,
2: I take issue with the framing of it because, like, in terms of the like, way media's been talking about it, they want the Kings because the sixth seed is a guaranteed playoff spot, and the five seed <laughs> is Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in the Who's Suns. undefeated yes. when he plays. So, yeah. I mean, like, yes, you want the sixth seed by default. Uh, but also, yes, it is partially the fact that they have a bottom 10 defense yeah. this year. I mean, like, maybe Mike Brown has elevated them from 30th to, you know, 25. Maybe that actually has happened low-key.
1: <laughs> Look, <You know? laughs> as, as as much as people—and I'm not the first person to make this analog or this uh, comparison, but as much as people talk about Jokic and how bad his defense is at the center position— like, some <laughs> bonuses, Jokic, but worse at everything else. Mm-hmm. At everything, right? Like, he has a similar game where he's, like, sort of operating at the elbow, these DHOs, and he's a great facilitator, and he can punish mismatches whenever you try to stick a guard on him or whatever. But realistically, you put a real center on the guy, he's not going to score one-on-one efficiently. Uh, and then on the defensive end, like, at least Jokic is legitimately seven feet tall. He's got the... the um Arm length to sort of give some resistance at the basket. He's got quick hands, and so he can play make that way and get strips and that kind of thing. So, like, it's a layup line if Sabonis is playing defense. That's just the reality. I don't see how if you're LeBron or AD or anybody, you're not worried about that rim. Protection. No, you're just not. And 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 if you have confidence that you can score quite efficiently against their defense, is just like, all right, now we got to figure out how to stop De'Aaron Fox. I Harrison Barnes, gotta stop Harrison Barnes too. Barnes. <laughs> yes, Harry you, know, you gotta stop Barnes. both of them. You know what I mean? So that's gonna be
0: tough. Uh, I, we're talking about the playoff matchups. I wanted to ask. I'll start with you, Oz. Biggest X factor in the playoffs for you is it? Wiggins coming back? That could be one. Or that's a huge one. Yeah.
1: Um, I think for me, it's Jaron Jackson. Mm. Uh, can he stay on the floor? If this guy talking about rim play, protection, that guy rim protection. He's he's the favorite to win Defensive Player of the Year right now. He's getting buckets mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. lately, which is not always been a thing for him, but his his problem, especially in the playoffs, has always been staying on the floor. So if this guy can play 34, 36 minutes a game, get to 40 minutes, and not just hack the hell out of people in the process, that would be huge for Memphis, because when he plays, they're really freaking good. And so I think he's a huge X factor in my mind, because I think it's, it feels achievable to just not foul... Every single person you you guard, um, but he hasn't proven that he can do it um, in the playoffs yet. He, he's so eager to block
2: everything yeah, on he defense. Is. He's mean, a jumping I, jack. It, yeah. it, it, it's ga- it's gonna be interesting with Memphis. Like you need Jaron Jackson, especially if Steven Adams is, nope. is. We don't know if he'll be back, nope. and if he is, we don't know if he'll be limited. So like they need Jaron Jackson more than ever for sure.
0: Mm. One last thing when we talk about the playoffs, most fun playoff matchup. We got a lot of teams in the West that are like mm. you know. Half game back, one game back, as we talked about jockeying for position a little bit, trying to make sure that you're locked in, at least as the sixth seed. Is there a most fun matchup that you see, KFC? I
2: think for me, the Kings-Lakers from a a drama Mm, perspective, the Kings have had Mm. their, you know, demons against the Lakers in the postseason before. If you're a Kings fan, there'd be no team you'd rather, you know, beat than the Lakers in the first round especially if the Lakers are able to you know, plow their way in there and and plus from the like a tactical side of things like you mentioned Sabonis being a layup line on defense I'd love to see the way you know the Kings try to contain those attacks at the basket from eighty and LeBron James. I just think it would be like a super super entertaining California series. There you yeah. go, and re- the
0: capital city taking on LA. You know that'd be fun. <laughs> the capital city, great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think about Harry Barnes having nightmare flashbacks of twenty sixteen against LeBron. Me too, that's me too. that's one for me. I, I don't even think it's close. I would love to see Golden State and Phoenix in mm. the first round just the narrative of KD joining a team that didn't need him and not soon after he left, they win a championship. He did not enjoy last season. Without without him and and him going to another pretty stacked team to try to win again, Um, just chase center with KD in there. uh, That just... That would just make me so happy. Draymond having to guard him mm. actually oh, at certain so points in that yeah. series. <laughs> Steph, I just, it, that just it's too juicy for me. I really, really hope it shakes out that way.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I, and I had the Suns, that was my team as a, as a fun matchup, but I like them against the Clippers mm. um, because I like Kawhi, KD. Yes. I want to see them go to each other on the wing. Yep. I like PG being able to switch off on the KD. Yep. I think that'd be fascinating. And then there's just the, you know, you mentioned him earlier, Russell Westbrook. I mean, <laughs> this is feast or famine season. <laughs> and I feel like Westbrook yeah. in a series against Chris Paul, against Kevin KD, Durant, yeah. that's uh, that's something that I want to see, it's at least appetizing. for the drama.
2: I'd like to see the suns just like hover in the paint. Slough off Russell <laughs> is behind the belt. Right? Do the Caitlin Clark like we'll, we'll let him shoot it. Ignore him. Yeah.
1: Watch yes. Russ wave off uh, Kawhi Leonard <laughs> in the clutch so he could clank one off the backboard. No rim. Yeah, that, that'll
0: be super fun. That's a 4-5 that's a matchup I'm looking forward to. Is there anyone in the Eastern Conference that, that we can think of? I mean, the East is a little, in my opinion. Cavs-Knicks. Cavs-Knicks is right? okay, Cavs going yeah, to yeah. be
1: fun. I'm on record. I think the Cavs are going to smoke them in five games, but oh. the Garden is going to be rocking, so I, I I look forward to that atmosphere, but I want to see Mobley in the playoffs. Right. I want to see what Donovan Mitchell does next to a guy that he doesn't have to be so ball dominant. Next to in um, uh, Darius Garland. And so, yeah, I I look forward to that Knicks matchup for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a fun matchup. And like you said, I mean, you just get to go into the garden, have that moment. I remember, what was it, two years ago, Derrick Rose won that one game and Knicks fans lost their mind. Yes, Knicks
1: fans are perpetually losing their minds. (laughs) I mean, I I, I think the series could be more competitive than that, depending on Julius Randle, though. Like, Julius mm. Randle dealing so with So you think Julius right Randle can make fadeaway 19-footers? I mean, he did consistently? not. Consistently? <laughs> you
2: think that's a thing he, he that He just, can he just faded away in the postseason a okay, couple years ago. Yeah. He's, so, he's, I mean, in, we'll see if he can sustain success.
1: Yeah, my prediction is, um, in the words of the great Mike Tyson, Julius Randle will fade into Bolivian. <laughs> <laughs> he will be finished.
0: <laughs> now we're going to pivot to the NBA draft, which is... Another big thing in the world of basketball, obviously, we just saw March Madness, saw the tournament end, Um, you know, and it wasn't a year where we had the number one pick playing in college basketball. It wasn't a Greg Oden, Kevin Durant type year where everyone's watching the tournament to see these guys. Um, So the conversation has turned to one man, and his name is Victor. And Mm. uh, he seems like if you get him and you tank and you do it the right way, you're going to be victorious. And uh, the question that I have to ask you, Kevin O'Connor, should more teams have tanked harder for Victor Wimbanyama?
2: Yes. For sure, for fourteen
0: percent chance, right? Because things have changed, right? They, I mean, they they tried to decentivize tanking,
2: and like the NBA did a great job with that, like by having fourteen percent flattened odds at the top. It means like there's less incentive to just be horrific. Like we mm-hmm. only had three teams that were, were just absolutely just terrible to watch this season. <laughs> but I think for teams like Utah that are still on the play-in bubble, mm-hmm. like the, the Thunder right now, you got to be wishing you lost. You know, four or five more games to have more than doubled your odds. Because even if it's not fourteen percent of number one, if you had nine percent or seven percent instead of two percent, three percent, I mean, you'd rather have those numbers for a chance at this guy who's. Taking step back three pointers after crossing over defenders and then having put back dunks. I mean, Victor Wembenyama
1: does something outrageous on a gamely basis. I, I I hate to be the person that does it, but I'm going to zag here. I love this. Maybe it's this idea that the talent evaluators feel like folks have jumped out the window on the prospects of how good Wembenyama can be. And so people like Danny Ainge didn't feel the need to really jump into this race um, head first. I think that's. Very possible. Uh I I haven't I can't claim to have watched as much of him as uh, KOC certainly has or Kyle Mann has but I think there's there might be something to the idea that people are just like he's a great prospect and obviously we would want him on our team but maybe people don't feel like this is a LeBron situation or uh, you know <laughs> Anthony Davis or whatever.
0: Right, we keep hearing that. I-, I saw Jay Billis the other day was talking about this. He was like if it was 2003 and LeBron was coming out of St. Vincent St. Mary's he would go number two behind Victor Wimbignon which do you that's think that's true? I don't think, I don't think it's that true. No, I, I think is, I mean
2: Wemby. is, Wemby crazy, is yes. the best prospect since LeBron. This is crazy. I think, but like LeBron James was as <laughs> as sure of a thing. Like he had a like a man's body when he yeah. was 17 years old, a he, junior in high school, and the game and the brain. Wemby still needs to improve in a lot of ways. I I, I think the expectations for Wembenyama should be. Superstar long term, but he like as a rookie. If he gets drafted to Houston, I don't think the playoffs. Like, I guess their expectations are suddenly suddenly going to be
1: we're a playoff team. It's going to take time with Ben Also, positionally, a huge wing who can soak up possessions is more valuable than some big guy. He just is. That's just, we've seen it over and over. Aside from Steph Curry, the guys that are leading people the championships are the Kawhis, are the LeBrons, and even Giannis, who is a hybrid of sort of a ball-dominant player and a big. Like, these are the guys who dominate in the postseason. As much as I like what I've seen from Wembenyama, I don't know that he's going to be this mega high usage guy uh, who doesn't need to be the finisher of plays. He's shown... Uh, an ability, you know, I see, I see those ball handling clips just like everybody else I do. <laughs> but the idea that over 2003, LeBron, we're getting ridiculous right now. Come yeah, on, guys. is
0: there any chance that we have like some Rudy Gobert potential with Wimbenyama where like there are guys in the league that just want to dunk on him and they want to go at him? Because I mean, obviously, all <laughs> the hype going into it, I know one guy that will go at him. That's Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I mean, is there any chance just because of the hype, and it's not his fault, obviously, that he has some guys that are like, okay, I see you, and I'm coming for
2: you. I think everybody's going to want to dunk on him. Right. Absolutely. That's that's the
0: Rudy Gobert problem. Everyone's like, I see Rudy defensive player of the year. I'm going to dunk on this
2: The thing is is Wemby's up to it. Like, Like, this dude is a gamer. Like, he really is. He's got that killer mindset. I I think with Wemban Yama, there's no doubt that he's going to be up to that challenge in the NBA. Like, the question with him, I think Waz is right. Like, is he more of a a big wing? Like, who is handling playmaking responsibilities? Or is he going to be more of a finishing type at a high level? That, that's what NBA teams are like figuring out right now. I think with Wemby, he's shown enough passing flashes mm-hmm. and the ball handling flashes that I think, like, when he's 22,
1: 23 years old, I think he'll end up being one of those high usage stars. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, when a guy is that slight, like, I, I think of Porzingis, who, because of his high ass, his center of gravity, has never been able to punish smaller players, right? Um, I wonder if Wemby will, you know, one day gain the strength that you can't put a Pat Beverly on um, on a switch and just push him away from the paint. Like, I wonder that, right? Uh, But, you know, the guy has already shown an incredible touch. He's already flashing ball handling skills. He's already creating separation with that ball handle because a lot of times this handle isn't functional, right? It's like, oh, it looks good. He dribbles behind his back and through his legs, but are you actually creating space? Are you creating an advantage? Are you creating angles um, for yourself with your ball handling? I think he's shown a knack to do some of that stuff already. Um, and if he even gains even a little bit more strength, that's that stuff's going to definitely be a weapon. I just think when you're talking about the people who are the most valuable in the NBA, it is these huge wings who can dominate possession Um you know, possession after possession in the playoffs.
0: That's what's fascinating to me. Will he be, will they make him a big, because there's a difference between being a tall guy like Porzingis and being a big, you know what I mean? And I think that's going to be yeah. the interesting wrinkle with Wimben It's like, what team is going to embrace who he is, let him play on the perimeter, or are they going to, you know, old school traditional mindset, get get in the paint. We're going to, we're going to, you know, do more of like pick and pop stuff with you. And then that's kind of be where you're going to be our five. So I think that'll be fascinating too with him. Uh, the number two pick the, the, is is obviously the more interesting pick, yes. right? Because there's more. Victor is de facto number one. We know that, but now you got Scoot Henderson, who has gotten you know some some people have said Derrick Rose comparisons. I'm not sure I'm mm-hmm. quite there with that. Um, Brandon Miller from yep. Alabama is the other name that's been thrown out. Six nine shooting guard. You talked about guys on the wings that can create. Yep. I mean he's a, he's a great basketball player. Who do you see at number two?
2: Brandon Miller. He, he started the year at number three for me in early November, moved up to number two ahead. of Scoot Henderson, you know, midway through the season. Granted, March Madness did not go as well for him as expected with the groin injury that he was dealing with, but throughout the year, the improvement as an at rim finisher in high school, he was a mid range, you know, a really good mid range scorer. And then from three point range, like he proved all year for Alabama, whether he's coming off the catch, coming off a movement, you know, pulling up off the dribble, like Brandon Miller can score from each level of the, of, of the floor and. He's a good playmaker at drawing, you know, help defenders, creating for his teammates. He had the left-handed, you know, pass to the rolling cutter, you know, in the march from That left hand, that that, that caught my attention. Yes, like he did that early in the season as well. The flash is there, and then he takes charges. He logs chase down blocks. He's versatile. Like there's nothing Brandon Miller can't do on the basketball court. And in any
1: other year, he's the number one pick. Mm. Yeah, to me, I, and I don't watch as much college basketball as that's okay. As Cam I'm not going to be upset. I started in the conference <laughs> tournament, to be honest, and I'm watching <laughs> SEC tournament play. And with Brandon Miller, I'm like, what am I missing here? As People went absolutely crazy for Jabari Smith last year. Obviously, ultimately, he ended up getting picked third. But this guy does everything Jabari Smith does at his size with actual feel. For the game. He talked about the playmaking. And he can
0: it's, dribble, right? Exactly. I mean, that, that was the problem with Jabari. It was he, like, can he actually do something on no, the No,
1: that's what I'm saying. Brandon Miller is a is a fully formed player. Like it, when he's not scoring, he's gonna be effective for you, both on, you know, on and off the ball, whether it's playmaking while he's on it, off the ball, being like you said, being able to read where to move into space, being a good cutter. Like I just like his feel. He feels like somebody who's thinking the game as he's playing it, right? Rather than just being bigger, stronger, faster than everybody he's playing against and just winning that way. Like, this guy, he's he, he has a high IQ. And when you match that with his physical gifts, I, like, he's really impressed me.
0: And speaking of physical gifts, I mean, you just look at Scoot Henderson. You're like, this guy is something else. I mean, this could be one of the greatest consolation prizes. I mean, we've seen traditionally a lot of number three picks be great. Michael Jordan. Joel Embiid, right? Okay. A lot Are we of times going,
1: we going to the Jordan round. Right? <laughs> Sometimes it falls into your lap okay. where you're like,
0: it makes sense for us, right? And okay. is there a chance we get Scoot Henderson at number three, and he turns out to be a sensational all star at I the think next level? So. I,
2: I mean, I think this year the top three is all excellent prospects. Like Scoot could be number one in most years too. I mean, like it's a downhill playmaker, creator, at room finisher, super athletic. You know, he's only six one or so. Yeah, you know, that's, so like that's the drawback. That, that, to me. That that is where like you know under. Size guards despite how strong he is and you know how wide he is those guys are always going to get picked on on defense and the shooting does need to develop uh, this year he shot under 30 percent from three in the g league you know he did not shoot as well off the dribble this year as he did last year or in the game against Wembenyama last last year in nevada um so i think for scoot the development wasn't there as much as you would have hoped for as a pull-up shooter or as a playmaker but with that said, though, if you're projecting ahead, you know this guy is a you know a do everything you know offensive creator, an engine for your team. Um, so I, and the G League's tough. I like, it's it's hard. Like, I don't that, know how to watch the great. G League. I'll yeah. be honest
0: with you. I, I have only watched one <laughs> game of Scoot Henderson, and it was the game against yeah. Victor. And to me, in that game, my one it's game so awesome. of sample size. He showed up. He looked like a gamer to me, right? Wow. Yeah,
1: no, he's he's. I, I I happen to watch that game as well. I'm always nervous about the six one guys, especially when the shot doesn't fall. Um, and I think about the kind of guys in the league at that size who we see excel. It is guys like Garland, guys like Ja Morant who excel for different reasons, right? Like Garland is an elite off the dribble shooter, an elite playmaker, mm-hmm. and Ja is elite at the cup, but also elite playmaker. Like this guy and is... elite
0: verticality. Yeah, I mean, There's of nobody like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: and so, you know, if, if, you're, if we're going to plunk you at the point guard position, he's going to have to get to above average at least, if not elite, um, at distributing the ball because he's going to be counted on to do so. So we'll see. I I think he's an exciting player, obviously. Again, it's easy to forget what Derrick Rose was doing because this stuff happened about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. I don't this forget. This was a singular event Derrick right. Rose was. The youngest
0: MVP ever. He, and uh, and predicted it before the season when they asked him what his goal was. He said to win MVP, and everyone laughed at him, and he went and, <laughs> and he did he it. Did. So we, yeah. we cannot forget that. So if Scoot turns out to be like that, then we really got something the, special.
2: The heights of Derrick Rose. I mean, it's hard to figure out a good comp for Scoot yeah. Henderson. I mean, it's Rose-esque you know, Westbrook-esque like those guys, the heights they've reached, like Westbrook, like, like, him Milan, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, yeah. Rose, you know, winning MVP pre injury was on a Hall of Fame. and trajectory. every
0: NBA MVP is in the Hall of Fame. So, yes. there's a world in which Derrick Rose will probably be at least in the conversation, maybe not the first ballot conversation, but he his name might end up Even being he might in there. get
1: there via China, like Steph did. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: you go. Uh, before we get out of here, Kevin, uh, you have a show on uh FanDuel TV as well. I want you to tease that that um because that is starting soon you're gonna be talking nba topics and uh you know what what, what's going on there and what's happening there
2: starting on tuesday beyond the arc gonna have waz on we're gonna be talking nba (laughs) uh every tuesday on fanduel tv i'm I'm super excited about man especially with these playoffs this year a lot of good teams maybe not some great teams in the west but i think it's going to be a lot of fun the next few months over the playoffs and then up this exciting draft class too I'm, I'm fired up about it
0: i'm fired up too i'm fired up to be on FanDuel tv with you guys uh thank you so much for joining me kevin o'connor Waz, thanks so much coming up we have ringer nfl reporter she was at the owners meeting her name is nora Princiati, and we're going to get into that right now welcome back to through the ringer Again, I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and joining me now is Ringer NFL Reporter and Extraordinaire, Nora Princiati. Uh, Nora, thanks so much for coming on the show.
3: Of course, Tate. I'm so excited. I'm excited to be an extraordinaire.
0: Hey, you know, I I uh you know, you're an aficionado. There's there's all types of <laughs> words that we can use to describe We've you. Got but a dictionary. Um, I'm very excited to... Right, I got a thesaurus. We'll look up some names. We'll look up some stuff. It'll all be good. We got a lot of time to figure that out, uh, fortunately for us. Um, but we do have a lot of football topics to hit. And uh, probably the biggest one always in the world of NFL offseason, at least the past few offseasons, of course, comes back to number 12. And not that number 12, <laughs> uh, Aaron Rodgers. Um, he is right now, he went into the darkness. Last time I checked, he went, in, went to the darkness. He came out of the darkness and he's decided that he's going to be a New York Jet. Um, so what is the update and what is the stalemate that's going on right now between the Jets and Aaron Rodgers?
3: Well, it's a, it's everybody's favorite $58 million game of chicken, right? Brian <laughs> and, and Joe Douglas both want the same thing. They want Aaron Rodgers to be a jet and to make a trade. And yet nothing is happening. It's it. If I can boil it down to one thing, and this is, I would call this an educated guess. I believe the holdup has to do with the fact that Joe Douglas, he's coming off a year where he makes two awesome first round picks, right? He gets Garrett Wilson and sauce Gardner. Mm. And I don't think he wants to give up number 13. I don't think he wants to send that first round pick to the Packers and deny himself an opportunity to get another blue chipper in the building. I think he feels like he's got the hot hand and he wants to take another swing. Now I'm mixing sports metaphors. But I think Brian <laughs> Gutekunst really wants that first-round pick. And so I think they're they're squabbling over the compensation in terms of who gets that first-rounder and also how to structure it and if there are other picks involved to give the Jets some something to fall back on if Rodgers only plays for one year. Because I think the way that they would like to do it is to have it be involve a second rounder or a third rounder, maybe a couple thirds this year, and then talk about picks getting into next year, but even 2025 so that they can have it be conditional on Rodgers playing and playing enough games and playing well enough in the 2024 season. And then I think when you get to Green Bay, they're like 2025. I mean, you know, to, to quote the Kyle Shanahan thing, we could all be dead by then. Like, what do I want with a 2025 draft pick? <laughs> so it's it's more complicated than it seems like it should be when both teams want the same thing. But I still think this gets done.
0: Yeah, it seems kind of awkward. And it also seems like the leverage, like I've seen a lot of people say, well, the Packers have all this leverage or, or the Jets have all this leverage. <laughs> I'm not really sure where the leverage lies at this point, but it just seems awkward, right? That, that's probably the best word for it for both sides.
3: Well, it's, it's like it's brinksmanship right? Because the reason you can't Mm. figure out who has the leverage is the team that has the leverage is the one that's like crazier, right? If the jets (laughs) are looking at this and going, you know what? We don't want to give you that, that number 13 pick. And we know you don't want to pay Aaron Rodgers $58 million next year. You want to move into the Jordan love era. So we're going to call your bluff and Hey, you know, maybe we'll go take another look at Lamar Jackson or We'll try to figure something. We don't actually, we don't need him. We might've hired Nathaniel Hackett. We might've given Alan Lazard $44 million. We don't, come on, Aaron Rodgers. You need to get rid of him more than we need him. If they really, if they push on that, then the jets have the leverage. But if the Mm. Packers are the ones who are more willing to be like, no, you hired Nathaniel Hackett. You gave Alan Lazard $44 million. You need this guy so badly. Zach Wilson, you don't want to do that again. And you're not getting Lamar if they're more willing to like stake a claim to that, then they're the ones who have the leverage. So it's not really about like the player or the situation. It's sort of like who's who's willing to blow it all up and we're gonna find <laughs> out.
0: Right, and how many jobs can Aaron Rodgers get Nathaniel Hackett? You know, I mean, that that's my big question. I mean, we'll see how long this can last, uh, but Nathaniel Hackett should be sending something back, maybe 10%, like an agent fee, uh, back to Aaron Rodgers. But you mentioned Lamar Jackson, but I, I think that's the other quarterback, right, that comes into the conversation. A lot of teams, um, you know, they have kind of put out their thoughts on Lamar Jackson. Um, But I wanted to ask you, Nora, what's next for Lamar Jackson? Obviously, we have the franchise tag option. There's questions about, is he going to be in Baltimore? Would a team like the Jets take a chance on him? But what do you see for Lamar?
3: Yeah, Tate, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I think the most likely thing is that he ends up back in Baltimore next year. But I really don't Mm. know because that guy is, he is so far out on a limb. And I didn't think it could happen for a twenty-six-year-old guy who was a unanimous MVP selection a couple of years ago. I am really surprised by how this has gone down. But when you look at it clearly, unless teams emerge as potential suitors for him, he's got no leverage. So unless that happens, and I don't think it's out of the question, I don't think, I mean, I don't I don't know if you saw this, but uh Mike Florio from pro football talk the other day was reporting that the Patriots have started shopping Mac Jones around that caught my eye a few mm. days after the owner Robert Kraft was talking about oh my friend Meek Mill was texting me that Lamar wants to play for the Patriots <laughs> these teams are not totally out of it but I still think you know New England Indy the Falcons are still to me the team that's hurting themselves the most by not getting involved here but they've been totally party line they're not doing it All of those are long shot bets. One of them could happen. And if that happens, then Lamar, Lamar, all of a sudden has some real leverage. If that doesn't happen, he just doesn't have anything. He just has, it it hurts him so much more to not play, or at least as much as it does Baltimore. And if that's the case, and he really wants to sort of control his own career and his own fate, he's got to go back and wait it out. Like he's got to wait out the tag, get to free agency. Uh, Cause it's just the only way that he's really going to, have the reins
0: yeah and we've seen you know guys like I remember Kirk Cousins right with Washington it was like every single year they just tag him again totally. tag him again until eventually it was like he hit the open market and maybe that's a situation with Lamar and even a team like Washington with Ron Rivera who has coached Cam Newton you know who was apparently going into the season expecting Sam Howell to be the starter you know as a Carolina guy I'm excited about that but if Lamar Jackson is out there I just find it fascinating, like you said, how a guy who won an MVP, who is so dynamic, who if you talk to anyone in the league, they're like, man, he's a scary guy to game plan against. It is wild to me that his market value is seemingly non-existent. And um, that is going to be confounding for everyone in the NFL world as we move forward, I'm sure.
3: I would just leave the door cracked open for that situation to change. I think... Think We're looking at a matter of weeks to months to see a sale there, although it's it's just really hard to know. But if that happens on the shorter term Mm -hmm. end of things, just just picture this everything you said about what Lamar would do for that team with a really good roster with really good skill position players, some talent on defense in Washington, where the fact that that team has been a dumpster fire. For, you know, anyone who's your age, my age, like all we remember is Washington just being a total train wreck, but there are people a little bit older who remember that being like a great franchise. And there are people who are seeing the Baltimore Ravens in the Lamar Jackson era steal all their fans. It's so much more fun in the the DMV to be a Ravens fan than it is to be a Commanders fan. And what might be an awesome way to get some butts and seats? change that back get it so that if you you get a new stadium deal you can totally revitalize a fan base lamar jackson would be an awesome way to do that i don't think that's happening but i just it makes it makes too much sense to not bring it up if they got a new owner if that happened relatively quickly
0: one thing i wanted to ask you about free agency Um, And this is what I'm always fascinated by, which is like the wildest signing that could happen where we all go, you know, we're all mouth agape and we're all going, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And I mentioned number 12 at the top and we were talking about Aaron Rodgers, but there's another number 12. I know he just retired again, but Tom Brady, could Tom Brady take Jimmy Garoppolo's job again in (laughs) Vegas? Is that possible or am I crazy?
3: Well, can can the answer be both? I mean, Brady (laughs) unretiring for a second time would be anything that would beat any the funniest Mm -hmm. thing would be for Brady to unretire times two, take Jimmy Garoppolo's job with the Raiders on the day (laughs) that the Aaron Rodgers trade goes through so that he steals Rodgers news cycle which would then annoy Rodgers to such epic proportions that whatever Rodgers did in in response to that Like, he'd re-enter the darkness. He'd go back into the hole. He'd go back into the retreat. It would just, (laughs) like... The butterfly effect from that would be so significant. That is the craziest thing that could happen.
0: I don't... And it's... It's a good narrative, right? For all of the NFL, now we're all now we're all tuning in because we're like, oh my gosh, Jimmy G has to back up Tom Brady again. Josh McDaniels is back with Tom Brady. We're in Vegas. We have the whole Davis family involved. He just bought <laughs> some steak in in the Las Vegas Aces. You know, Vegas is involved. It's just it's just so much. Ge- like we talked about the drama. Like that is a that is a TV show right there.
3: Well, also, you know, and I don't I don't like to make fun of the guy's personal life too much, but like there is a recently divorced dad vibe going Mm. to vegas that would be worth (laughs) watching
0: yes yes absolutely absolutely all right one last thing this is a fun one before we get out of here travis kelsey Obviously, you know, with the Super Bowl win, did SNL. He's all over the place. We see Travis Kelsey everywhere. Big star in the NFL. And I saw this, um, you know, I was just going through NFL news, and this was funny to me that it was news. But apparently Travis Kelsey is hosting a music festival at the NFL Draft in Kansas City, and it is going to be called Kelsey Jam. Rick Ross will be in attendance. Um, You know, this is all going to be happening NFL draft weekend. I know you're going to be covering the NFL draft. Will you be there, Nora? Will will you tune in? Will you go there and witness uh, the Kelsey jam in person?
3: So I will not be there. It's kind of the the draft is actually Uh, very hard to cover in person. It's just hard to, you know, get into the hardcore analysis that we like to do here at the ringer uh, (laughs) on the scene when you don't have all your laptops and blah, 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 blah. So I will not be there, but I'm very curious about this because what I want to know is like when I think of music festivals, I always think that there's like a very specific vibe, like Coachella is like all the flower crowns and everybody's crazy, Uh, Glastonbury, everyone's in their barber jacket and they're like walking around. (laughs) Like what is what is the Kelsey Jam vibe? Like what's the tank tops? What are we doing? Shorts? Yes, just men in tank tops. I have to be honest, Tate, I hate it. I hate it so much. I will not be there. I wish them all well, the that's best,
0: Caduce. truly. I, I hope they have a great time. I hope they have a great weekend. Um, she is Nora Princiati. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We we will have to have you back to talk more NFL stuff. Um, it's always great to talk to you. Always great to catch up. And, uh, you know, th- this is one of those times in the year in the NFL schedule where we can have a little bit of fun and speculate a little bit. So it's, all, it's always nice to do that as well.
3: Come on, Tate, we do that year round. <laughs>
0: That's what we do. She's Nora Princiati. Thanks so much for coming on Through the Ringer. All right. Well, there you have it. That's it for the first edition of Through the Ringer. Again, I'm your host, Tate Frazier. I'm excited for all that we have ahead. We are live in L.A. We're going to be doing this uh, coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Appreciate everyone tuning in, and we will see you on Tuesday.